Thursday. As we continue our Build Your House series, we want to just take a moment at the beginning of the service, or that this portion of the service, I should say, and just remind everybody that Thursday within Canada is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And so we just want to prayerfully begin to posture our hearts towards that day and just share a few things that we, as followers of Jesus, who, may, who are also Canadians, can engage together. So we can all together pray for earth to look more like heaven, which means that each of us need to become more like Christ. Uh, we could read the Truth and Reconciliation Report for ourselves. That's an important thing for us as Canadians to do. We can repent uh, for the wrong that Canada has done, including the church has done towards the First Peoples of Canada, uh, and the right that we fail to do. We can posture our hearts to listen and to learn uh, from Indigenous stories and history, and we can embrace some steps of reconciliation that have taken place, but also a shared desire of Indigenous people for something new. This is the heart of every Christian. God wants to do something new to be built in Canada on shared principles of respect and honesty, wisdom, courage, humility, love, and ultimately truth. And so I just pray, as, we, as the Canadians, as we move towards Thursday, that we wouldn't just have it as a day as usual. We would say, Lord, would you speak to our hearts about the first peoples of Canada and our relationship with them? So we just pray, you posture your hearts. You know, the Bible that you and I read, and for those of you maybe who are not followers of Jesus, the Bible that you've heard of, if you open the first pages of it, you'll see in Genesis that the story is really, really good, that everything God creates is beautiful. Relationships between uh, genders and us, between humanity, between God is, is spectacular. It is exquisite. It is God's presence with his people. This is the opening pages of this book that we read. And if I took you all the way to the end in Revelation, you'll see that the story is really, really good. It is God's presence with his people, unhindered, that we as individuals are made for God and God for us. And it is a good story at the beginning, and it is a good story at the end. But in the space between the opening pages and the closing pages, there is a lot of sin. There's rebellion, there's brokenness, there's mistreatment one to another, there's fallenness. There's all of these things that we can see in the story that it is an unfolding story of God's redemption and God's work of reconciliation in the midst of broken, divided people. And today, everywhere you turn, there is conflict. Uh, there is a cause, a worthy cause, and sometimes it's a little less worthy, a little more petty, but there's a cause for you and I to engage. So the question that we want to just drop some breadcrumbs around today is this. How do you know the right fight to engage? Because if you look at the world today, we're fighting about a lot of things. But are we fighting about the right things? Are we fighting about the things that ultimately matter most? You know, when I read the story or if I think about the story that we've been walking through the last few weeks... How did Zerubbabel know that his purpose was the temple, to rebuild the temple, or Ezra as a prophet? A little more understanding there, but he knew that his purpose wasn't temple. It wasn't the walls of Jerusalem, which Nehemiah is going to rebuild. For Ezra, no, it was, I've got to teach the people Torah. That's what I've got to do. And so all of it had to get done. In the story we're looking at, the temple needed to be rebuilt and the walls needed to be rebuilt and the people needed to understand Torah. They understand who, the, who God is, 
who they are as the people, what God's commandments are that they are to live amongst themselves and be in relation to others. They needed to understand all of these things. All of this had to get done. But when you look at this story, it was too much for one person to do alone. It took all of them, but it took, it took different people with different assignments to engage what God was calling them to do. And the same is true today, that every single one of us is called to make a Jesus-sized difference. But we're not all called to do the exact thing. And so the question that you need to be reflecting on, as I do, is which fight are you called to engage? Which one is worthy of your resources, which are limited, your time, your talent, and your treasure? And so we want to look at the story of Nehemiah and just drop out some breadcrumbs today for you and I to be able to engage this heart and this story. And so again, for Nehemiah, the Walls are in ruins of Jerusalem, and they had been in ruins for about 50 years. So this isn't a new problem. Canadians getting, not getting along isn't a new problem. And so here there's a problem that they see for 50 years, the walls have been pretty much in ruins. And he's a cupbearer to the king, King Xerxes, and he's, he's there, he's living a life of privilege in Susa. As the cupbearer to the king, he's not merely a servant. He's a trusted member of the king's inner circle. He is treated like family, as you can imagine. The cupbearer to the king, tasting you know, the king's wine or eating his food, engaging this way. It's a pretty trusted relationship to the king. And so he's not just treated as a servant. He's treated as family. So he has an incredibly privileged life. Again, he knows that the walls of Jerusalem lie in ruins and one day, everyone say one day. One day. It's not on his calendar. He doesn't have it as an agenda. He doesn't have a reminder notifying of that this is the day. But one day, God desires to bless his life with a burden. As Popeye says, you know Popeye, the cartoon character guy? I've had all I can stands and I can't stands it no more. That's what happens when your life is blessed with a burden. You hit a limit. It's all I can stands, and I just can't stands it no more. I heard Bill Hybels, which is even a controversial name to bring up today. One day, Hanai comes with others from Judah, and Nehemiah just asks a question. Here's what Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 to 3 says. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the exile, so from Babylon. They are now back in Jerusalem, and he says this, I asked about them, I care about them. So Nehemiah, it's his people, he asks about them, and then he asks concerning Jerusalem, because who they are is connected to Jerusalem. So the heart of the people is connected to the heart of the land. And this is something that we as Canadians have to understand coming up this Thursday. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble, and they're in shame. The great trouble and shame that they're in is that the walls of their city that represented their identity have been absolutely, they're lying in ruins and they are absolutely torched and they're burned. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire, which is a representation of what has happened previously in their life. And though it's no longer their present reality, because this is the state of their city, this is the state of their hearts, this is the state of their lives. And in this moment, God does something unique in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah is blessed with a burden. Once again, he didn't have it on his calendar, didn't know today's the day when he woke up that this is the day that God was going to give him an assignment that is going to change his life. But before God gives him the assignment, he at first puts a burden on his heart. 
As we've been saying week in and week out, don't dismiss all bad feelings because sometimes the bad feelings that you have, the feelings of being heartbroken, are actually key to a purpose that God has for your life. So we as North Americans, maybe who always want to feel comfortable or we always want to feel blessed or we always want to feel positive. And look, and I'm not talking about living in the dirge all the time. I am just saying that there is something about brokenness that God uses that is key to your purpose. And this is what happens to Nehemiah. In a moment, God blesses him with a burden. And like I said, we all have limited time, energy, influence, and resources. So we all have to figure out what is our part to play in making earth look a little bit more like heaven? What is my part? What is your part? We all have to discern these things. And when blessed with a burden, so when you are blessed with a burden, when there is something that you see that breaks your heart, that moves your heart, that touches your heart. Like pastors Jeff and Ingrid, of the 30,000 Canadians who are waiting to be adopted into forever families right now, what was it about grace that touched their heart? How many of you know that between when their heart was touched to them taking a step, it is very easy to dismiss what God would have? It's easy to miss it. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy just to go, oh, it's too much work. And so in the step between when you're blessed with a burden and where you look next is absolutely pivotal. Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, some breadcrumbs that no matter your age or stage of life, together we should be reflecting on. As soon as I heard these words, the words that there was great trouble and shame in Jerusalem for the Jewish people, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and I mourned for days. He's being blessed with a burden. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and that is critical. See, for Nehemiah, if he turns too quickly to the king, the king may then talk to him about his life of privilege, how he is a part of this family, and he can quickly forget that just, well, I'm good over here, and forget his Jewish family over there. If he turns too quick to the king, he could be actually seduced back into a life of privilege and not care what's going on over here. If he turns too quick to only the Jewish people, perhaps he hears about the problem of these walls or the problem of the temple or the problem of not knowing Torah. If he turns too quick to the problem, his burden can become overwhelmed by the magnitude of it. But Nehemiah does neither of those things. He doesn't turn to the king, nor does he turn to the people. He listens and what is, he's blessed with the burden, and the first thing he does is he turns to God. The very first temptation you will face when your life is blessed with a burden is you're going to want to solve it, and what you actually have to do is posture your heart in prayer before action. God, what do you have me to do? What do you want me to do? What's my part to play in this? And that's what he does. A pivotal step in knowing the right fight is the one between when you're blessed with a burden and where do you turn. Between when and where, Nehemiah does some pretty powerful things that are pretty normal things. He simply pauses, he prays, and he removes distractions. He pauses, he prays, and he removes distractions. And as he does this, God begins to do something in him that is really powerful. He begins to shift his heart from seeing just the problem to a hopeful potential. He begins to see not only what is, but perhaps what could be if God used his life. He doesn't just see the problem of 50 years of walls and ruins. He sees, God, you may want to use my life in this space to do something. There's a question that I'm inviting, whether you're here or whether you're at home, that I'm inviting every single one of us to ask today. 
in the midst of our constant bickering about everything in 2021. I'm not saying we don't need to have robust discussions with one another. I'm just saying there is a question as followers of Jesus, who happen to be Canadians, that I do invite us to ask, and it is this. In my life, what am I making bigger than Jesus? In my life, what am I making bigger than Jesus? And don't let yourself off the hook. Don't let yourself squirm out of that question or, you know, wax poetic about it or give yourself all sorts of rationalizations. What am I making bigger than Jesus? I am not here to diminish what happened to you in the past. But I am here to say that whatever happened to you is not greater than what Jesus has done for you. This was Grace's story that you heard again and again and again a moment ago. No diminishment of what had happened to her in the past. As a child being left at the door of an orphanage, as a child experiencing not just rejection there, but rejection again. These are deep, deep wounds. I'm not diminishing that. But God in his gracious and love was working a story, worked and is working a story of redemption in her heart and life, but also a redemption story in Higgs, within the Heeg family. In my life, what am I making bigger than Jesus? Is it your past? Is it positions on vaccinations? Are we making this bigger than Jesus? I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I'm saying are we making it bigger than Jesus? Here's a scary statistic in 2021. Most people will leave church fellowship before they leave a political party. Which one is shaping and forming us more? Most people will leave long time, long serving relationships of friends and family over different positions. What are we making bigger here? Particular theological positions, are those things becoming bigger than Jesus? This is a right sizing question that should convict each and every one of us. Here's what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6, 8 to 9. And I love this. His heart is turned towards the Lord. He's praying. He's fasting. He's getting a God-sized perspective with this godly burden that he's been given. Here's what he prays. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. This is Nehemiah's prayer. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. See, that seems a little detached. But listen as he continues. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel for which we, now it's getting closer to home, have sinned against you. Now it's real personal. Even I and my father's house have sinned. So Nehemiah is making the problem personal. He's just not making it all about him. Do you see the difference? Oftentimes we err when we make things all about us rather than just our part to play in it. He says to this to God, which is beautiful. <laughs> Oh, that we would be bold like Nehemiah. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. So Nehemiah knows this is a problem. We have been scattered as Jewish people because we've been unfaithful to God. But here's what he says. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there He's now saying to God, you promised that you will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. And that is the temple. And that is Torah at this context and culture. And that is the city of Jerusalem with the people of God. The next step in knowing the right fight, the right fight to embrace is asking yourself this question. Am I willing to count the cost? 
And here's what I want to say to you. Making a Jesus-sized difference never goes on sale. Ever. There is no Nordstrom rack where you can pick up a deal on making a Jesus-sized difference. Some of you have no idea what Nordstrom rack is, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. Making a Jesus-sized difference never goes on sale. And here's what I will promise you. Whatever the cost you think you have to pay to make a Jesus-sized difference, it will be greater than what you think. Being in ministry now for 20-plus years, here's all I know. That when I was in elementary school, I had a powerful moment with the Lord one day. Where I felt like the Lord... This is way before Carrie Underwood penned a song, mind you, but I had a little moment with the Lord... But the person who came and talked to us in chapel that day talked about like stock cars and race cars. So I was a kid. So obviously this influences what I understood. It wasn't an audible voice of God. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I do want to get to heaven and think, I do want to get to heaven one day and hear God's voice. And I do pray his voice is not like this. Hello. I really, really do pray his voice is like this. Hi. <laughs> Mess with some of you just big time. Come on in. You'd be like, what, what? What? Wait, what? What? That's just my own delusion. But the Lord put on my heart as a little boy that I could work the pedals of my life, but he was to have the steering wheel. See that Jesus take the wheel? This is way before that. And my whole life has been a struggle and a wrestle between wanting both the steering wheel and the pedals of my life. I can speed things up and I can slow things down by my obedience or my disobedience, but he is the one who directs my steps. And I'll never forget one day. I have the beautiful privilege in my life of traveling the world. And I am not one who loves to travel, but I've had the privilege to do it. And everywhere that I've traveled, I've loved it, I've appreciated it. But it's nothing like this national capital region for me. Because I'll never remember, not as a young man now, not elementary school, but now as a young man in my early 20s. One day, everyone say one day. Just driving. And I saw houses. And I just saw, you know, when like the TVs, it's dusk, and you can see TV flickering? Like you can see people watching sports games and The Bachelor or whatever else they're watching. Like you can just see their, not what they're watching, but you can see they're watching shows. And I pulled my car over. And it felt like a while for me because I wept from my toes out. And God put a supernatural burden on my heart for this national capital region that has never left, that my story is rooted to this place in this land. I'm not saying my story is your story. It may be different. But here's what I know. If God had told me then the cost, what it was going to cost me to say yes, if he would have told me then, I would have said no. No. But here's what God does, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. He doesn't tell you the whole story of your life. He just tells you the next step. And again, he doesn't do that because he doesn't love you. He tells you that because he knows what you can handle. And my definition of what I can handle and God's definition of what I can handle have never been compatible. Nehemiah knows what needs to be done, but he knows that he can't fulfill the vision alone. And everyone is going to have to have a part in, play, in rebuilding the walls. Yet like any rebuilding of anything, there are obstacles and there are opposition. And Nehemiah faces both. 
Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. And I think that there are prophetic echoes in this old, old, old story that speak to us all these years later. Though this story is not about us, nor was it written for us, it is something that we can embrace. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites, when they heard the repairing of the walls in Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. Isn't it amazing that a problem doesn't become anything until it starts to be solved? In other words, as long as the walls stay in ruin, no problem. In your family, as long as what is is what is and what always will be, as long as you leave it alone, it stays alone. But the moment God begins to rebuild it, all heaven breaks loose and all hell breaks loose. The same is true in cultures and cities and churches. When problems are going to be solved, opposition intensifies. And it says they all plotted together to come fight against Jerusalem. And here's what it says. And I wonder if you've seen any of this taking place in 2021. The number one tactic of the enemy back then was to cause confusion between what needs to be done. I wonder if we can see any confusion in 2021. You need to look really hard for it, but if you look hard, you'll find it. We prayed to our God. They do the same thing. So what Nehemiah does, now they do. Experiencing opposition, they pray to God and they set a guard as protection against them day and night. And as they, rebe- as they rebuild, sorry, Nehemiah faces expected opposition from outsiders. But he also experiences something perhaps unexpected, and that he experiences oppression from insiders. See, the Torah teaches, as Ezra has been doing now over and over again, the Torah teaches in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1, that no Jewish brother should exploit or enslave another. This is what Torah teaches in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1. The problem is, this is not what Babylon taught. You see, what Babylon taught was the complete opposite. In order for Babylon to advance, they would enslave and exploit. And so growing up within the culture, the Torah said, don't do this. But the children of Israel now, as the walls begin to be rebuilt, do not what Torah says. They do what the culture around them has been kind of seeped into their hearts and then formed and shaped. This is what they do. A lot of us do what we do not knowing what we're doing because we don't realize that we've actually been discipled by the world in which we live stronger or greater than being discipled by Christ. This is what we see here. They don't realize it, but Nehemiah sees it. As the walls of Jerusalem are being rebuilt, they are lending money. That's not the issue. The issue is they are charging interest on the money that's being lent Again, because this is all they saw in Babylon. And I love how Nehemiah responds. He lives with an opposite spirit. And here's the other last breadcrumb that I want to drop for us today. So yes, God blesses our hearts with a burden. Absolutely. First thing we turn to towards God is absolutely vital. This is an important step that we all need to take, whatever stage or season of life that we're in. We're all going to have to pay the cost to make a Jesus-sized difference. It never goes on sale. And here's the leather piece, a little breadcrumb that I want to drop for you in your life. And I want it to be a hopeful little breadcrumb for your life because here's what Nehemiah does that I think is amazing. Is Nehemiah simply lives different from those around him, not better. He lives according to God's word, which makes him different from everybody around him. He's living with this opposite spirit. And how he was living here when nobody knew why he was living this way gives him the authority to step into this moment. Here's what I'm saying. 
you may not feel significant living different in a moment according to God's word. You may just feel out, you know, on the outside of things at work or on the outside of things in your family. You may feel constrained. Why does this person get to do this, say this, smoke this, click this, watch this? Why do they get to do all that? And here I am in this wrestle. God, you've constrained me to be obedient. You don't know sometimes the obedient yes that you are taking today is to give you authority to step into tomorrow's problem. Because you cannot change the thing that you are the exact same substance of. If we are identical to the world, then we are no longer salt and we are no longer light. So here, Nehemiah, here's what he says. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. The thing that you're doing is not good. In other words, like, knock it off. Stop it. Are you not to walk in the fear of our God and to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, here he's, Nehemiah says, he says, me... My brothers and our servants, as for me and our household, it's pretty much what he's saying here, like Joshua, we are lending the money and grain, but let us abandon this exploitation or attacking interest on it. In other words, their vulnerability is not for your profit. This is what he says. This person's vulnerability is not for your advancement. Now, Nehemiah, he's, this isn't all charity. He expects repayment. But what he is simply saying is, I'm going to honor God's word and God's covenant. Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, that I am not ever to exploit a brother or a sister. And so he does it. And again, because he's living with a different spirit than those around him, that when the problem comes to the surface, he can step into it with authority. But if he was doing everything that they were doing, lending, but also with interest, he would have no authority to step into this moment and align and call people to live forward. Don't despise some times where God is constraining you to because you may not see what it is a solution to tomorrow. You just see it today like, ah, I can't do that. Maybe it's maybe, just maybe, it's not that you can't do that. It's that what God has planned here for your life, this can't, is going to step into what you should. And this is how God moves in our hearts and lives. In fighting the right fight, you never know when today's principled decisions will give you authority to step into tomorrow's problems. Here's what it says. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. A 50-year problem was solved in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, here's what it said. All the nations around us were afraid and greatly and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of the Lord, our God. Church, if your name is getting more fame, you're in the wrong fight. If God's name is getting more glory, ah, you're in the right fight. I don't hear Nehemiah getting praised here. But I hear the work that God did through Nehemiah getting glorified. Nehemiah is an outstanding study in knowing the right fight, leadership, and teamwork that it takes to rebuild something. (laughs) But can I also remind you where this story began? Nehemiah is not. I am not calling you to be like Nehemiah because if you get to Nehemiah chapter 13... He's breaking into people's houses. He's so frustrated that God's presence isn't there. He's chucking their furniture out. He's literally pulling out their hair and punching them in the face. This is not good leadership. 
So the story of Nehemiah is not be like Nehemiah. The story of this book is learn from the good of Nehemiah, replicate it. Learn from the bad, don't do it. The story of this book is not be like Nehemiah. The story of this book is singular, be like Jesus. Discerning the right fight is first being called to someone, and that is Jesus, before it is doing something. Reverse those things. Make your life about something and not someone, and you will chase purpose the rest of your life. You make your purpose about following someone, and I promise you, purpose will find you. You don't have to find it. I want you to think of the church not as a cruise ship. Church isn't for your comfort or mine. Church isn't a battleship. We're not called just to get into cultural wars for the sake of it. No, the church is an aircraft carrier where together we are being formed and fueled up and patched up prepared and repaired and missioned and commissioned to go out to fulfill a specific assignment that God burdens our hearts with. Our call to be the body of Christ never changes. The great commission to go out and make disciples remains constant, but our assignment can change. And today, Life Center, we want to send out Pastors Joey, Hannah, and Silas on their next ministry assignment. We are ascending church as pastors Joey, Hannah, and their We One Silas will be coming up here. Um, Pastor Joey is stepping out to bring leadership to his family's company. And it, he'll share in a moment about that, but we just have an honor as a church to bless them. Uh, we didn't see this part of the story coming, but God did. And we know that they're being obedient to God's call. And so while there's sadness in the sending, there is celebration in the obedience. And so together, let's just ask uh, someone.